Hello, everyone. Okay, quick reminder, the giveaway is still running. We are in June. That means we are doing our $500 shopping spree giveaway. So if you would like to enter, it's really simple. All you have to do is shout out Pop Apologist on your Instagram, share one of your favorite episodes on your Instagram stories, and provide a link for your followers to easily tap on, click, and listen to our podcast. We ask that you only enter if it's something you really do want to share and you really do love. And with that said, we ask that you don't say that it's part of a giveaway to invalidate the recommendation. So super simple. The giveaway is going for this month. And when you enter and tag us, we will respond in the DMs, letting you know that you've been entered. If you have a private account, please go ahead and send us a screenshot. Otherwise, we won't see it. And with that, we'll catch the episode. Was that a sniffle I just heard from you? (laughs) Chandler, well, 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 I am truly, truly, truly ecstatic about today's recording. Can I tell you why? Is it because you get to talk to me and you love talking to me? I do love talking to you. We've already talked for an hour and a half this morning. This is true. This is true. Um, No, I'm so happy because I actually feel like genuinely jazzed to have this conversation. There's so many fun things we're talking about. Genuinely jazzed, baby, because we're done with Johnny Depp. I know. I feel a lot lighter as a person. Yeah. Like stories are coming up about it and and people are still sending us stuff. And I'm just like, ready to move on, baby. I'm ready ready to to not think about this. One thing I will say, we touched on this earlier. I feel validated by people who are kind of stunned by the reaction and the pro Johnny Depp reaction. I feel like you and I were, uh, honestly, people were shocked by us being pro Amber at any point. And I even doubted myself a bit throughout because it just felt like, are we really the only people who are, you know, trying to be nuanced with this? I doubted my own instincts and interpretation of the trial throughout because yes. it felt like felt like the reality I was perceiving, I was in the distinct minority if I looked online. Right, right. So to see like some articles come out about, you know, what this is doing and why this is not a victory in my opinion is is really validating. So anyways, that's all I'll say. Yeah, I don't want to get super deep into it, but I do think that seeing some of the content coming out, basically talking about what this is going to do to freedom of speech, to people who, you know, basically this just empowers any man with money now. Men in power Mm -hmm. now are just so emboldened to silence people. And there's this one particular Twitter thread about the way that being sued for libel, it's not even just like being sued civilly like this. It's not even just the idea of potentially losing. It's actually having to fight back and fighting back in that case is so financially ruinous. Yep, Yep. And anyway, I think that, yeah, there's a lot coming out right now really showing how devastating this verdict is on a just a, a social justice level. And also, okay, I guess just one other thing. One of the jurors made a TikTok like right mm-hmm. after. So really, really? oh, you're going to tell allowed? me. Is that allowed? Well, it's, oh, the case is over so they can do whatever they want. <gasps> and so he immediately made a TikTok. I believe it's been pulled down and I watched all of them when they came out. And well, you know, in one of them, he basically says that he thought Camille was hot. Um, <gasps> no way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, 
in my opinion. This is like he, what I feared the jury was going to be comprised of. It was just this young guy, and he's like, yeah, I thought Camille was hot. I thought Amber was full of shit. And it just it just made you realize, you know, like, ugh. <sighs> just very, very, very sad. But anyway. Very interesting. And honestly, I'm just relieved we don't have to talk about it anymore. Yeah, same. Okay, so let's move on. How are you? How was your weekend? What's going on? Lauren, thank you for asking about me. I am doing well. I'm recovering from a bender of a weekend. I went to Oregon, Mm. went to the coast of Oregon for a gorgeous wedding for my friend Molly. And it was honestly a great time. I haven't been to many weddings that were like multi-day things. And so it was very fun for me. I went with my friend Kate then was was taken off as my plus one. Basically, he's already going to have to go back to California for McCall's homecoming. So I felt Mm -hmm. bad making him, you know, spring for two cross-country plane tickets in this economy. So I took my friend Kate and it was honestly such a good time. Like three full days of festivities. It was at this summer camp that they rented out. And funnily enough, my it was a Jewish summer camp on the Oregon coast and my next door neighbor in New York used to go there as a kid. So small world. Anyways. Well, you know what I want to say? This is what I want to say. What do you want to say? Destination weddings, people always bitch about. They always complain about them. And I'm not not saying you were ever complained about Molly's wedding. I know you didn't. But this is what I want to say. People always complain. They always feel like a pilgrimage. For all, they can feel like a pilgrimage. I haven't complained about let yours. Me just, let me just okay. speak my truth. I've okay, heard a lot of people truth. complain about destination weddings. Okay. You know, when they complain about having to go to other people's weddings. Mm. Then once the wedding is over, you never hear people be like, that was a terrible time. Right. Like it always is such a special experience to be surrounded by so many friends for multiple days in a unique location. Right. Like it's such, it's a vacation that's heightened because you have these events to go to. Uh-huh. Usually they're free. You're surrounded right. by 50 friends. Like all I'm going to say is that everyone resists the urge to complain because it's very easy to complain about having to use your PTO and that it's expensive and all that stuff. But really like it's, ends up being such a magical experience for everyone and and truly like I think that for me some of my bride anxiety has been having heard people complain about having to go to weddings you know way before I was yeah even I mean I don't I don't feel like I hear that many people complain about weddings I think what I do hear people complain about is when they have like five weddings you know over the course of two months yeah right which is understandable yeah which is understandable but anyway I just think destination weddings are so magical and so fun so I'm just so happy that you had such a beautiful experience and hopefully Molly had an amazing amazing wedding right one of the one of the magical parts was that I got a lot of one-on-one time with her or at least like she took a lot of time to you know come hang out with Kate and I and I feel like a lot of times at a wedding you know obviously the bride and groom are just very busy with like the Mm. wedding party or with just like the different events. And she was very, very present at her wedding. And that was really cool to see. And honestly, was inspiring for me. Can I talk to you about my wedding? I Uh, do have an update. Please, please. So I spoke with my designer that I hired. Okay. And it was absolutely the best decision. Like I went from having a designer or speaking with her. Yeah, having hiring a designer Got it. was the best decision because truly all my anxiety melted away or 90% of it. Like really? all of my 
yeah, so much of my anxiety just dealt with having to deal with, I felt like micromanaging the aesthetics and not necessarily trusting my own instincts Mm -hmm. because it's real, that really isn't my field. Um, You know, hiring someone who has a an amazing and distinctive point of view and whose aesthetic you really trust right and allowing them to guide you through making decisions and interpret the thing you know the feeling that you want Mm -hmm. I just can't recommend it enough because even if you have a planner unless that planner I think is fully like has your exact same aesthetic it is just so tricky and I felt so much analysis paralysis in terms of you know the overwhelming amount of decisions I was going to have to make Absolutely. Also, I think another reason why it's helpful for your wedding in particular is because your wedding is not local to you. So it's not like you can like just be collecting a bunch of things and then, you know, just storing them away so that you could just like take them to the venue. Like your wedding is a location is a separate location, you know, that's far away. And so there's just so many details that you can't like really figure out like on the ground right now. Yeah. And I just feel like if I just sent Pinterest boards to a, to my planner, there was just, there would just always be the risk that there would be little things that I just hate it. Yeah. And I really, honestly, there's so much decor I despise quite frankly mm-hmm. and think looks really bad. And I just am so relieved because now I'm just like, no, I know for sure this is going to look really good and be right, beautiful. Right. And her ideas are really cool and really special. And I'm just like, okay. Amazing. Uh, I'm now looking forward to my wedding. Isn't that oh, crazy? That's incredible. Best money you ever spent. I'm really happy to hear about this as well because this means that I have less work to do at your wedding. And yeah, I'm all about sure. working soft even as your maid of honor. <laughs> I mean, I think it's been pretty light so far. Correct? No, I, I feel – I have subliminal stress that I'm not doing enough. We talked about this on our episode with the Big Wedding Planning Podcast. But if anything, this just means that it's, it will be even less than it is now. So who Yeah. My hope is that we can just show up and attend. But I do so moving away from stuff about us. Yes. I do want to chat with you about something really quick before we dive into the full full the Episode? full agenda of topics. Before we swan dive if you will. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um curious your thoughts on Kim Care on Kim K coming out with a skincare line. Well, one thing that I think is interesting is that Lori Harvey has a skincare line that is SKN Yes, I saw that. Which I'm like, just like, did nobody, did, no, did the brand manager not realize this? I, I think it's a bad look. Also, I think I mean, Skims is an amazing product. I would just stick to Skims. I personally feel like we did not need another celebrity skincare line. Yes. And here's the thing I actually resent about this. Yeah. I watched Kim on one of the most recent episodes of the Kardashians board her private jet, her new private jet that had mm-hmm. this stunning everything was cashmere. I mean, this was I think a 100 million dollar private jet Gulfstream. Wow. I watched her talk about, you know, like show us the most divine details of her private jet. Yeah. Do I think Kim Kardashian is using her skincare line with an average MSRP of 49.95? Absolutely not. I do not think oh, Kim no. Kardashian probably has used it other than in the demos, yeah. in the product tutorials. Who even knows if her skincare line is even in the containers when she's doing the Instagram tutorials? That bitch I mean, 100% only has the finest of products 
made by the best companies around the world at the highest price point right. going on her skin. Period. End of story. There's not a chance this is what, what, what Kim Kardashian uses. In my opinion, celebrity skincare lines are the least credible. Yes, because they always come with this whole like spiel about how I just amongst, you know, the millions of skincare lines out there amongst the hundred thousand toners currently available mm-hmm. on Sephora.com. There just wasn't one that was formulated right. correctly. Right. Like, I think we've such a load of BS. I think we've got enough skincare to work with. Thank you. Your time is done here, everyone. We do not need any more skincare, you know, products, any new things hitting the market. I do think, though, that I do want to say for the record, in case we ever come out with a skincare line, that truly has been really hard for me to find a skincare line yeah. that really mm-hmm. resonates with my skin. Yep. And I'm still searching, Jan. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm also on the hunt. Yeah. So just so you there's know, not- we're open to it. <laughs> there just isn't there's there's something wrong with each one Here- I try. It's just it's not really working for my skin. It's not what I need. I recently had to tell someone like my skincare routine. Like they asked me like, what do you do? Like, tell me the products you love. And I don't feel like I have like, here's my 18 favorite things. I really feel like I have like three to four things that I use at all, at all times that I do feel like make a difference. Let me finish before you, you know, before you dive in, I just, I could hear you like start to breathe and I'm just like, oh, here we go. Just give me a second. But what I want to say- I do have to jump down your throat about this, but continue. I know. I know. Well, okay. I don't even, I, we're not, let's just give me a second. Okay. The biggest thing for me, the really, the only thing that matters, the only thing that makes the biggest difference in my skincare routine is whether or not I'm tan. And I think being tan is the number one thing that contributes to me liking my skin, to me liking putting on makeup, liking my outfits. Like being tan is everything in my opinion. You know, don't come for me. But I think self-tanning makes the biggest difference. My, for me, my biggest skincare secret is being still like super like or hot still being relatively young and never have had really any skincare issues that's my big secret i highly recommend oh um, my gosh that's amazing <laughs> you're, i can't believe you're, you're not gatekeeping that wow <laughs> no i'm just kidding but the one thing i want to say is that and you have done it by the way okay you last episode were like, I have this self-tanning gun and this solution. It's incredible. What? I put it on and I turn into a golden goddess this descended from, you know, descended from Zeus's kingdom in the sky. Okay. And then Am I not giving you credit for that's telling you? That's where the story I drops off. Knew it. And then I have to deal with the hundreds of DMs. I've been it feels sending like. like, I've been what what's Look, the spray gun i'll what's make a highlight solution? i have been sending these links to people I've, they're not affiliate links i've been just freely giving of this information because i do believe it is a gospel of sorts okay so chandler's gonna put the link to her skin to her self tanner in the show notes and, and then she's gonna add it to our shopping highlight link okay, okay? Fine. and let me just here's my big caveat because i know i'm gonna hear about it later Lauren was the first person in our family to really learn how to self-tan, okay? She has fair skin, but she likes a glow. And so she taught herself how to self-tan. So I'm going to give credit to her for, you know, I never, opening this gate. Here it is. No, let me finish. Let me finish. Any sort let of me fin- yeah, you ever. do. Yeah, you do, bitch. You do need credit. And then <laughs> Courtney. Courtney is the reason why I know about this spray tan gun and the spray tan solution. I'm also going to give credit to Sarah Jane Warner, who's an excellent tanning guru. And she is the one who showed me the, the gun and the solution. And I think she also showed Courtney. So is that good? Are my bases covered? 
No, I literally, I have no interest in credit. I don't care if Courtney got credited. I don't, I love Sarah Jane, but Sarah Jane for sure doesn't care. I just don't want to have to respond to link questions. That was People really can it. also DM my personal account. Well, or you could be more in the pop apologist DMs. How about that? Oh, here we go. There we go. There's a bigger <laughs> conversation. Let's, let's move on. I'm going to need a teal swan workshop after this to work through. <laughs> Okay. Me. Well, let's talk about hair. Well, you can't recommend products responsibly without sharing them. That's all I want to say. Oh I am a friend gosh. to our audience and I understand their I've, and have I, I've been responding every single DM you've sent me. I have responded within yeah, I have at least screenshot four to five you. days. I've responded. It's a multi-step issue. Okay. Yes. Let's do a tail swan workshop to get through these emotional problems. Chandler, mm-hmm. Lauren, as we made our descent into New York, you know, from our beloved Guana Island trip, Mm. I got excited thinking about coming home to like my more simple routine food, like my Mm. Clean Simple Eats protein powder. Yeah, I feel like it's such a good staple because the protein powder, if you blend it with ice and water, you got vanilla frosty, essentially, if you like the Simply Vanilla. If you get chocolate brownie powder, you've got a chocolate frosty. You could do the mint chocolate chip, you got a thin mint frosty, or you just dissolve it in milk or water, and that also strangely tastes really good like chocolate milk it's a super fast easy quick snack also i just love that the ingredients are clean they're grass-fed it's 20 grams of protein for 110 calories it is just the best protein powder out there everyone go to cleansimbleeats.com and use the promo code pop apologist for 10 percent off that's pop apologist for 10 percent off cleansimbleeats.com pop apologist for 10 percent off <sighs> Should we dive into the deep end? Uh, let's swan dive into the deep end. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing about this this documentary on Hulu. Kagan, last night, I was like watching a YouTube video of Rytil Swan. Yeah. And he's like, what are you watching? And I'm like, oh, because I was doing research for the pod. Yeah. I have not become like a swanaholic yet. And anyway, yes. anyway, he's like, oh, I'll just watch this with you. And I'm like, no, no, I'll rewatch the documentary with you. I'll put on the first episode. He's like, oh. No, no, I'll just watch what you're watching. It's fine. No big deal. I'm like, no, we'll watch the first episode of the documentary. Yeah. He's like, okay, fine. Like, whatever. I'm just here to cuddle with you for like 10 minutes. <laughs> oh, this guy gets so sucked in. What? We get to episode one at the end of episode one. He's like, let's just watch the next one for like 10 minutes. I'm like, okay. Yeah, of course. So 10 minutes into the next one, I start falling asleep. I end up going to bed. He <gasps> keeps my computer with him. I wake up. An hour later, I go out to his office. He's working with my computer next to his monitors mid the third episode. I'm like, oh, really? Mm -hmm. Oh, really? No. We're just going to watch what I'm watching. Not a problem. You're not that interested. (laughs) I I don't know good shows. (laughs) Lauren, I had to be like, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go. I had to be like, no, no, no. The deep, the the deserves your full attention. I'm taking Mm -hmm. my laptop. You can watch it when you're not working. Thank right. you. Right. When I tell you that I watched this while using the restroom in the airport, <laughs> I'm not lying. That's how addicted. I literally had my headphones in and I was like, I had quite the flight journey home. I was cruising through the airport, had to use the bathroom, did not want to pause the show. No. And it was honestly, it it overtook me. So it was recommended by a friend of mine at the wedding. We were just talking about shows and she was like, okay, have you heard of Teal Swan? I was like, no, what? I'm like literally never heard of this woman, which is honestly shocking because <laughs> shocking. you feel like in all of our like YouTube dives and all of our like, you know, you can well, heal just, your life moments. Like we, we wouldn't have come across her like text. I don't know. It's 
it's truly baffling, especially with our connection to Utah, but continue. Yes. Yes. That's the other thing like that. Yeah. So I was completely overtaken. I flew out at like 7 PM from Portland and I got back to Portland, like, you know, around like three and my friend's flight took off earlier. So I had like all this time to kill in Portland, got my nails done, watched Teal Swan in the nail salon. Okay. I, I could not stop. And I was just like, I don't care how much data this uses. I don't care about anything. I just need <laughs> more. So, and I honestly, I just found a podcast too about it today. So there's a lot of material that I can recommend to people if they also fall down, you know, the uh, the teal swan rabbit hole. Okay. So let's get into it because okay. people get the picture that this is a captivating program. So who is teal swan Chandler? <sighs> Teal Swan is an American spiritual influencer and author. I'm going to I'm going to be reading from some Wikipedia just to give everyone the full picture, okay? <laughs> I was going to say, because did you write that sentence? Doesn't sound I'm like, like it. Yes, I did. I just want to also start off by saying that Teal Swan is very hot. Teal Swan is a raven-haired vixen and is she extremely looks, alluring. She looks like she should be the fourth sister on Charmed. She she also looks disturbingly like our oldest sister. She has the same, like, I would say height mm, and kind yes. of strong bone structure and oval-shaped yep. face yeah. and piercing gaze and right. also, you know, deep well of wisdom. I yep. did call Ashley and I was like, do you know there's an alternative career path for you? <laughs> if birthing children and doing skincare on Instagram is not what you want to do, you mm-hmm. can 100% amass a million followers on YouTube by sharing and looking into the screen. Anyway, continue. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Ashley could have this volition if she tried. I mean, it's the intensity with Teal. So her full name is Mary Teal Bosworth. I don't know where Swan came from. She was called Teal, though, in her early days. Yes. In the home videos, her parents called her Teal. Her middle name is Teal. So anyway, she's given herself this sexy moniker of Teal Swan. Which um, makes you realize really quick, just going to say yeah. that if you want to become a guru, just think of a color and an animal. So like for me, beige lion, that would be if I was to become some okay. sort of internet guru, I think I would be beige lion. Okay. I'm going to be, okay. Give me one second. Emerald dove. Oh, wow. That's very peaceful. Uh, well, Emerald yeah, dove. Emerald dove. Isn't that beautiful? Perfect for your eyes, your blonde hair. Oh, uh, well, your hair is darker now. You have I'm to going back, back to being blonde. Spoiler yeah, so alert, like everybody. White. Okay, anyway, let's, let's move let's So move basically, back. so Teal was raised in Logan, Utah, which is shocking to me because, yeah, we've got lots of connections to Utah and her a lot of her following has happened in Utah. But so a little bit more on her background. She struggled a lot as a, as a youth. She, you know, struggled with mental illness. She felt suicidal as a, as a teen. I want to also offer a large trigger warning right now. A lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about has to do with mental illness and suicide. And that mm-hmm. is because a lot of her practice is about helping people in these scenarios. And, and it's honestly very controversial because of her, her perspective Methodologies. on suicide. Yeah. Yes. So she struggled a lot as a teen and, you know, part of this is, is the fact that she was abused by, you know, someone who was who was supposed to be helping her. I mean, she talks about it in the documentary. The documentary that we will reference a lot is called The Deep End. It's on Freeform and Hulu. And basically, you know, when she was struggling as, as a young child, honestly, like I think around the age of like seven or eight, there was this older man who, you know, offered to help her. And he I think he would take her away on like retreats of sorts, which is honestly a million red flags there. I think he was like 50 or 60 at the time. And 65 she was five uh, is what I remember from the documentary. Yeah. And 
And this was after her parents, I guess, tried to get her help from all sorts of all sorts of, you know, healers, methodologies, whatever. They were trying to get her help and nothing helped because what she says is that she was had all these special gifts, like all these powers. Like she yep. could see literally see emotions. So she could see them visually in colors. Mm-hmm. So she's a clairvoyant. She, yes. She can um, talk to dead people. Like mm-hmm. all of this, all these powers that Chandler and I for sure do not possess and probably no, absolutely not. do not. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, she has all these powers and that's why she felt like, you know, she didn't really fit in. She also talks about the fact that everybody was Mormon. She was not raised Mormon. Her parents were hippies. She had no affiliation with being Mormon except for the fact that she was raised in Logan, Utah. And she says that, you know, she felt like an outcast and she was bullied because she wasn't Mormon. And so basically, you know, she kind of has... So she has this this abuse happens and, you know, she doesn't, I don't feel like she really like talks about it until later on. And at, at one point she does go to some type of like, you know, Eastern medicine healing situation. And I think this sort of like puts her on a different path. And so in listening to this podcast, actually, and hearing more about her start is that she, she got her, she started to gain a following because she was speaking at a, at like a hippie bookstore in salt lake and then she started to like upload a ton of videos about her like practice and everything on youtube so one thing i want to say is that she was extremely precocious so she started so she basically it sounds like from everyone who knew her that she has been you know kind of feeling like she was a person with a lot of answers to the world's questions from her early 20s and she was an extremely you know rebellious kind of wild kid and teenager and has always been very out there so I think but what's super interesting about her is that she really started you know pontificating her truce and her wisdom as a very young woman. I mean, I remember being 22 and I once did like a three day juice cleanse and I felt great. And Mm -hmm. I remember thinking, I think I have things to teach people about the way to live. (laughs) Truly. uh, Lauren, I get shades of you sometimes when I read about her because she (laughs) she literally, she released a book called the sculptor in the sky. Absolutely. (laughs) Could have been a a book by Lauren Bledsoe. At least Um, a poem at least a poem. And, you know, so that was her first book. And then she also released another novel uh, years later. This is actually in 2020 called Hunger of the Pine. Also big shades of Lauren here. (laughs) Yeah, I am. I just think that that's probably one of the most interesting things about her is she had, well, to finish my story, though, it's very brief, Chandler, don't worry, it's two more sentences. I remember I looked in the mirror. I looked in the mirror and I thought, I'm like 22 or 23. Like, what do what business do I have pretending like I have the answers to life like no one's gonna buy into this even though I do feel on top of the world after my juice cleanse so even I had the you know the foresight to realize the criticisms I would face and potentially I didn't have all the answers but can I play for you a a brief clip thank you yes please Okay, wait, one thing I want to say. I would encourage everybody to right now go look up Teal Swan so that you can see this striking woman as yeah. we play her audio because I I think that honestly 70% of her allure is honestly her looks and how beautiful and like Well, it's a little sexist. Um, I'm going to stick by it. <laughs> okay, um, only because the guy in the video is like there's literally a guy in this documentary who's like I don't know if I'm just like sexually attracted to you or if I really believe what you're saying. I mean, I think she's pretty. She's 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 quite captivating. It's true. Her, she has a, the most captivating look. I mean, it's not even like yeah. I'll, I'm gonna stick by it. 
she honestly looks like a high priestess. Yes. Like that's what she, yes. that's her vibe. Like her, it's not like she's Emrata, but she no. looks like a sorceress. She, she's otherworldly in her like yeah. look and captivation. Absolutely. Okay. So I'm just going to play this really quick. It's just like 10 seconds, but this is you her speaking on in YouTube videos when she was like 24. So I'm going to play this. Okay. The question that I thought was the most important to talk about this week is one that I've received several times in the past. The topic for today is what is the purpose of life? What is the purpose of life? The question has been... I just think that it's so funny that she's like this little 24-year-old and she's like... The question I'm going to answer today is what is the purpose of life? Right. (laughs) I just think that's amazing. She has all the answers. And honestly, she doesn't even claim to have had like this one moment where she realized she had all the answers. She just always acts like she's had all the answers. Yeah. It's not like she's like, oh, you know, we're all seeking and these are Mm -hmm. some of the things I've learned. No, no, no. Like she has the answers. There's this one. I I have to read you this quote. There's this one instagram posts that she put up relatively recently okay um and it's a picture of her looking out at the sea i believe Love it. let me see here okay so it's a picture of her she's wearing like a green caftan she's sitting on the sand her knees are curled into her chest but she's you know relaxing mm-hmm. she's gazing at the sea and this is the quote by teal swan that's overlaid on the image Okay. I will be the solution, whether they like the solution or not. <laughs> <laughs> the next time you text me and are like, hey, can, are we recording at 1230? I'm just going to respond with that. No, you have to respond with the with the, the, the Johnny Depp. You lay a gauntlet before me. <laughs> what a very tempting <laughs> test. Tempting test. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. God, oh, there is just so much I truly struggle with, like, where to even, like, dive in because obviously we've talked a little bit about like her start and whatnot but I think what one of the really fascinating aspects of the teal swan following um is that she really uses the power of the internet to attract people okay and one thing I'm learning about is that her YouTube videos are like her YouTube videos really use the power of SEO okay so like if you google you know why does this hurt so bad or why am I struggling so much like very vulnerable dark things that a lot of people will like turn to or Google when they're like struggling, like Teal will pop up a lot of the time. Like she has like amazing SEO power. And even when I was Googling intentional, go ahead. And even when I was Googling like for research for this pod, like I couldn't hardly, I could honestly really hardly find the dirt on her because a a lot of like the first eight to 10 links were just like links to her pages. The thing about her videos is that a lot of them are titled things like I have nothing left. I'm ready to yes. give up. Like they're they're meant for people who are in like thinking the darkest things. But for me, so I was trying to do research on like, okay, what are the beliefs here? Because mm-hmm. it's very difficult to actually know what she's teaching because I feel like you either need to become, and I've coined this term, so feel free everyone to use it, but know where it came from, swanaholics. I think it's mm. difficult to become a swanaholic. Because you either have to dive head first or you have to sit through these videos, which to me are painfully boring. Yeah. It's a lot of gobbledygook. It's a lot of Keith Raniere. Oh, it's a, you know, double speak. It just, right. it, it's, it's very boring to me. It doesn't actually make that much sense. Right. And it's not very interesting, but I will say that in the documentary and in the podcast channel I was referring to, which I've also listened to a few episodes on, they do discuss some of the troubling 
things that she really emphasizes. Right. And one of those things, and I think you're about to get to it. So, you know, forgive me to, for being used to the punchline, but one of the things is that she really, when people, when people are in this very dark place in their life, she encourages them to go deeper into mm-hmm. that place and to mm-hmm. feel that, that feeling more so. Right. To really visualize their dark feelings and just to be totally blunt, like people who are suicidal, she tells them to envision suicide and to visualize it and to fully, you know, mentally go there, which, you know, is honestly a very, very, very troubling and tricky thing to do with someone who is, you know, in this very, very vulnerable place. And honestly, it's a harmful thing to do. I think that we would be remiss if we did not say that Teal Swan is an advocate and deep believer in reincarnation. And she believes that the second you die, you are reborn. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, for one of her followers, she said it only took two seconds. Yeah. No, she the time she died and the time she was reborn. About, yeah. About Leslie. Yes. And so Teal does not, she calls it the ultimate reset button. And mm-hmm. it's not, or the great reset button. And it's not, or I guess, no, it's definitely not the great reset. I'm getting those. She, those, talks, those she does, those she terms. does refer, she refers to it as a reset. Yes. It's a reset button. And that's what she says. And she says death is an amazing experience and it's like incredible. She, she basically raves about it. And yeah, she kind of, I think that it's pretty obvious that she encourages suicidal ideation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is awful considering the fact that she's not a, you know, licensed psychiatrist or psychologist and or is not someone who is like an expert in in mental health. And another thing that I've learned is that, you know, she encourages people to go off of their medication and and pair that, you know, encouraging people to go off their medication with ideating and visualizing suicide, like it's it's a terrible, terrible way to handle people who are, you know, this vulnerable. Yeah. And it's, I don't think it's even that she just, I actually don't even think that it's her lack of credentials that are a problem in my opinion, because I, I, I'm kind of like anti the belief that people have to have these established credentials in order to offer wisdom. I just think that anyone encouraging suicidal ideation is problematic and this is, yeah, it doesn't right. matter That's what totally your credentials true. are. Yeah. Absolutely. I just think that like she professes to have healing solutions and she's she's not a healer. She's well, not someone I, who's been I, trained in. So, and then another thing is, yeah. or go ahead. Well, let me see if I can pull it up. But there's the funniest YouTube video of her talking about the ideal diet. And she's like 24. And she's that. like, and she calls herself like a medical practitioner. And she's like, and I say this as a medical practitioner. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just like, there's a reason like she lends herself a lot of false credit. Of credit. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why people have to go to school and study research and actual facts on what works in, in the field of mental health in order yeah. to offer advice to people who are mentally ill. Right. And, and okay. So another aspect of her, you know, flawed belief or her, of her flawed teaching, in my opinion, is, you know, she does a lot of repressed memory work which is a very controversial and she, you know, these people will come to her intensive. I can't remember. What are they called? Like completion or something like her, her retreats. Yeah. Like the completion retreats, process, the completion process is what she calls it. So they, you know, spend five grand come to like one of her, you know, retreats places. And, you know, she will basically work with them to uncover repressed memory, which yeah, is a whole other subject. And I think that can be very harmful. That is very harmful. 
So Teal actually went to a therapist named Barbara Snow in Utah. Mm -hmm. And Barbara Snow is one of the foremost repressed memory therapists. This is something she is infamous for. But Teal says that all of her memories when she was a child are not were not repressed. She said she was aware and conscious of all of them and always yeah. remembered them. But yeah, I think that one of the things that becomes really, really troubling is you see this repeated pattern with her followers where Teal will tell them that the only reason they're having all these feelings is because or people that have had feelings like this generally have been abused mm-hmm. and they were abused early in life. And they say, like, close your eyes and, and you know, imagine who could have who could have potentially done that to you, because oftentimes mm-hmm. these memories are repressed and memory is such a tricky thing. Like, I just think that even myself, there are some memories I have that I don't and I don't have any sort of negative memories but more like there are certain memories I have that I'm like was that a dream I had or was that a memory that happened oh like I there's like one carnival I can't I can't decide if I actually went to it or if it was a dream okay it's all like spare me that boring story that story's (laughs) over there but I just want to say like I think memory really is so fallible and repressed memories it's not even just another topic it's basically completely a moot point like yeah in the field of psychology, repressed memories are completely false. Well, and her repressed memories are always, it's your one of your parents who abused you. It's always your parent, you know, your mom or your dad sexually abused you. Like, that's, at least that's what I'm seeing with a lot of her people is, you know, it, it's it's always one of your parents. And, I th- and so then thereby, she then encourages these people to totally cut off their family, which is ding, 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 cult. And yeah. completely, you know cut them out of their life yeah and you know I just the level of suffering that this would cause you know like Mm -hmm. not only the person now trying to grapple with this thing that never actually happened to them but then they have to kind of net they now have to deal with all of this fake trauma that's suddenly inside of them but then in the part I really think about the parents like obviously you have to who lovingly raised a child and then now are being falsely accused of something horrific right um the level of trauma that's going on there but one of the things that's super interesting about teal's trauma Mm -hmm. is so teal's trauma from when she was young that she talks openly about is very very well let's just say I think it strains credulity to believe it. Teal Teal says that not only was she, you know, abused by, sexually abused by this older man, and that part is, I, who, who knows, but she says that she was part of a satanic cult for 13 years, Mm -hmm. starting when she was six or seven, potentially earlier. I'm not actually sure when it started, but she said that this satanic cult that they sacrificed infants. She says she watched seven infants die. She said that she was, you know, her participation in the cult was required heavily and throughout her, her, childhood and then adolescence Mm -hmm. and what's interesting about this is you talk to people who grew up around her yeah and I listened to a Mormon stories interview and this girl says you know I was her neighbor and we lived in this very small community till did sports in high school or was participated in extracurricular activities she never lived elsewhere Mm -hmm. and there's you know when could this have happened we had sleepovers and she never was being called to go to the cult she says that you know even the road that she lived on everyone knew when a car drove by because it was just so like remote and she said that like if someone was coming to pick her up at two in the morning three in the morning for her to go join the satanic cult that it would have been pretty obvious so anyway even her 
you know, retellings of these things are really, I think, not super credible sounding. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, that's fascinating. I want to listen to that. Um, she also says that when she was a, when she was a kid, when they were just in, they, they weren't even, they were pre, because I remember she said after that went through puberty. So this is before they yeah, even went okay. through puberty. Okay. Teal Swan was like a, I don't know, 10 year old or whatever. Okay. And showed her graphic, graphic pornography. Like. Oh, really? Bestiality, S&M, crazy stuff. Oh my When gosh. she was, yeah. So this is a girl and maybe, you know, that could be a symptom of having been abused. Right, Who knows right. how Teal yeah. ended up the way she is. And she could have just been a abused to a much lesser degree than she says she, there could have been this satanic cult and who knows what the truth is i do think Either that way. if there were seven missing babies there would be more yeah. info on that but anyway i mean honestly either way she's built this insane following and not only her you know public you know people who watch her youtube videos and the, those masses like she has this like inner sanctum of people who are devoted to her and who've devoted their lives to her and, and follow her around, you know, from place to place where she gives these like talks and does these readings. And the, in the show, you see a private investigator who starts to, you know, talk to them. And basically they had, they hire the private investigator to clear her name to, you know, yeah, do some, re do the research and really see for yourself how, you know, she helps people. And one thing that this private investigator comes across is this set of non-negotiable rules. And it's basically a, a whole list of, you know, reasons why you cannot put anybody else before Teal. You can't put your family before Teal. You cannot put a spouse or partner or, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend before Teal. And just basically how you have to devote your life to her and it it honestly, and that for me was a moment where I was like, yep, this is a cult. And maybe it's not a cult for people who watch her videos on YouTube, but it's a cult for everyone who is, you know, following her around. Yeah. It seems like the key issue with Teal, it, with her mass followers is the suicidal ideation yeah. and the encouragement of that because there have been followers who weren't part of the inner sanctum yeah. who committed suicide. Um but then I think in the inner circle, it seems like it's a group of 10 people or 20 people. It's very small. Um, she requires everything of them. Yes. And her mission has to be the most important thing in their lives. And nothing can come before it. And, it, you know, she – there's – yeah, there are – there are very much like cult-like qualities to that, to being part of her inner circle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm fascinated by this. I fully swan dived into the deep end and I'm very excited to finish off this podcast series and, you know, continue watching the the deep end on Hulu. One thing I will say is that I did watch all of her rebuttal videos. And did you did you hear any of this? No, no. OK, so she does a YouTube video for each episode telling saying what they got wrong. I will say that I think that Teal Swan is a deeply troubled individual who I fully believe you know, the crux of what Hulu is getting at is probably true. I think there was probably some deceptive filmmaking involved, though, in telling the story. Well, in the I way that there is really with any reality show or, docu th or yeah, sometimes because, documentaries. Yeah, I think so. Because and, and that is like a darker angle of this because they cl she clearly let these documentary filmmakers into her home, you know, interviewed all of her people, watched all of her daily, you know, activity. And that's a little bit nefarious. Of her or of them? Of them, of them to like kind of say, oh, we're just going to make a, you know, or I'm sure that they spun this as a, it's going to be a positive thing. 
And then it's so, something else. Yeah. So like w- one of the, yeah, they followed her around for three years. So yeah, the, they spent three You're years kidding. doing these videos. It wasn't full time, but yeah, it was over the course of three years. Wow. That this, this documentary was made. Um, like one thing that they show in the documentary was that it very much appears like she lives in this huge mansion in, in Park City. Yeah. Like this wooded cabin with this huge beautiful field with all of her inner sanctum they all live in this house and what she says is that was somewhere we were that was somewhere we were for two weeks for a retreat Mm -hmm. but none of us ever lived there and we lived together everyone always had their own apartments I have an apartment that I live in I think she said she she and her personal assistant lived together Mm -hmm. and then Blake and and Juliana big parts yeah. of the documentary lived together separately and they never lived together and she said during the scene where Juliana's talking with her mom it's translated from German and her mom says are you all staying together but the way that Hulu transcribes it is are you all living together and Juliana says yes so she's talking oh. about staying together at the retreat but and Hulu's trying to make it seem like they all live mm-hmm. together at that place. Yeah. Also, you'll That's, notice it's yeah. very, very spooky music is playing. So mm-hmm. I would say I, I definitely listen to her rebuttals and I'm like, okay, obviously there's a little more to this story. Yeah, it's not right. as clear cut and simple as Hulu's trying to make it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, obviously there are people whose lives have been benefited from Teal Swan. I mean, she yeah. has mi- over a million followers on YouTube. She holds these mass shows that people go to. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sh- I know people draw real meaning from her work, and I'm sure some of that is positive. It's just troubling what you know the the degree to which she does the suicidal ideation. Like that's just where I, you know, yeah. It's like it's is it worth like the the some of the positive stuff for you know how how far she can push people. Yeah, I guess I think just to play devil's advocate, I always consider like shouldn't people be allowed to I mean I don't know it's it's a really tricky subject I don't even want to get into it I think there's just a part of me that thinks you know adults with free will should be able to make decisions and live however they want to live even if it's an, in an unconventional environment even if they do want to devote themselves full-time to some yeah. sort of guru I mean that happens all over the world and right. so I guess I it just is- want to be kind of a little yeah, I mean, I think one thing that sticks out to me is just that it's really a business to her. And you see this in the documentary, how they want to, you know, have as many Facebook followers as Tony Robbins, as Eckhart Tolle. And so she's not this like guru that was plucked out of obscurity. Like it's a true business for her. That actually, I'm glad you said that because I want to say that that brings me to my one pain point, my tr- my my big pain point with Teal other yeah. than the problems we've discussed. Are you ready for this? Okay. Yeah. What is it? If you have 1.3 million followers on YouTube, I don't know, probably half a million at least on Instagram, yada, 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 you should be able to to afford better clothes. What the hell is happening with the hideous style? She, she loves the style. It is so bad. She wears what can only be described as, as to her events, she wears like bejeweled mother of the bride dresses. Mm-hmm. I know. No, she loves it though. She, it, it's the worst style and then at her retreats she's in these like she's in this red sparkly caftan with black leggings and a black tank I don't know for me I'm just really not I just I think that if someone is so rich that they one of the things they owe this our society is uh-huh. to look really good I mean she would do to. 
she would do well to go on Goop and to get some linen pants, some linen, you know, tunics. That would be really nice. It's truly unfortunate that she went the way of like a psychedelic Southern Utah, I mean, you know, lady, turquoise, dragonfly. I don't know. Do we want to talk about her art? Oh, yeah. So she has this kaleidoscopic. if her art that literally looks like here it is, I'll say it. Sorry, Teal, if you're listening, but her art literally <laughs> looks like something you would see at a kiosk in the mall, you know, at the dead end of the mall that no one walks by, that you're just shook at how they're able to even afford the cost of a, a monthly the rent for a kiosk. It is so ugly. It's like, yeah, kaleidoscope colors and psychedelic looking. It's terrible. And, and it's for- expensive. For me, it looks like something that you would like. You would maybe buy a set of fifty of these from Michaels, but they would come with watercolors and or markers, and you would draw it in. It'd be like an adult mm, coloring. Yes, set. yes, yes. You know that was the vibe mm-hmm. I got from them. She sells them for fifteen hundred dollars a pop. And the thing that we really need to mention about the art is that it apparently, according to her, has the power to heal. Mm-hmm. heal people of physical diseases right. emotional problems Lauren, if Lauren will have a really? few on her registry <laughs> yeah if you're looking to get me a wedding gift I beg of you please do not send teal, okay, teal swan art I cannot even resell it this is hilarious if you google teal swan art they are like t- these art these pieces are titled or at least they're like all around the, the idea of frequency gratitude productivity integrity comfort creativity hope healing and there's more like literally I think these are like here's the creativity one here's the comfort one here's the integrity one like this is so funny to me wow um yes again please do not purchase them on my behalf I'm glad I have a no gifts wedding let me just can I just read you the gobbledygook description of the of the integrity painting please okay so this this one's called integrity the vibration of the choice to stay true and grounded to one's own personal truth. This state is not a resistance state of being. Instead, it is a state that seeks to find a meeting of minds with alternative perspectives and alternative personal truths. This vibration is the opposite of the frequency of hypocrisy. Are you moved? Honestly, I feel like that would be something really good for you. <laughs> okay, well, it's funny that <laughs> it's funny that you say that because I was thinking that I, whenever I have an issue with you, I need to say that I'm 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 having resistance because that's what all of her like. <laughs> her you know all of her cohorts say if they have a problem with her what don't they say like I'm finding resistance or I'm having resistance she whenever someone like whenever someone is challenging her which she does not take kindly Mm -mm. to there's this one scene where one of the I guess I'll just leave it for the documentary because I don't want to give everything away but yeah whenever someone is challenging her she'll go you're so resistant. Why are you? Why are you? Why well, are you and, experiencing this resistance? And then she's. And then they'll say, "I'm experiencing resistance right now." Like, yeah, that's what I'm gonna say to you: is experiencing resistance. <laughs> All right. Well, if you do Anyways. that, just know you'll be laying out a very tempting test for me. <laughs> gauntlet. A gauntlet, if you will. Okay. Right. Well, I think we've done we've done teal justice. Let's let's I get out of the so. deep end. Can I talk to you about a product that you love, that Courtney loves, and that I love? Please. Early bird CBD gummies are so phenomenal, everyone. They are the perfect 
2.5 milligrams of THC and 12.5 milligrams of CBD. So this concoction, it gives you the warmest, gooeyest feeling. They have the magic formula. I love the watermelon flavor. That's my favorite. I also love using them when I know I need to get a good night's sleep and I can sleep in. You guys, we love Early Bird CBD so much. We reached out to them to see if they'd be interested in sponsoring the show because we were like, these products, these gummies, everyone needs to know about them. We're going to tell them about, about them anyway. So maybe we can get paid to do it. And honestly, we just cannot recommend them enough. We have a link in our show notes. You can go to earlybirdcbd.com. Use code POPAPOLOGIST20 for 20% off. Earlybirdcbd.com. POPAPOLOGIST20 for 20% off. Do yourself a favor. Try the gummies. They ship to all 50 states, everybody. You got to try it. Earlybirdcbd.com. So radically changing the subject. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about something that got sent to me over the weekend. It got sent to us, okay. but I was, you know, I was in the DM, so I was the one who got it. Okay. But Never let me forget. <laughs> okay. So there's this doctor, Dr. Sheila, Sheila Nazarian. That's her name. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's this doctor, Dr. Sheila Nazarian. She's on Instagram and she put out this thing because I don't know if you saw it, but a very popular infographic got posted over, I think the last week. And it was like kind of, it basically said F the timeline. And it had this timeline of like married at 25, kids by 30, um, mm -hmm. whatever. That was okay. the timeline. I didn't and see it, was, it, but I was also it. Okay. You know, ensconced in wedding bliss. Right. Okay. So anyway, there's this, it was a, it was a feel good, you know, popular little meme that got put out. Long story short, she, Sheila took issue with it and felt prompted to put out a four minute and 47 second rebuttal, basically to say that the timeline actually does matter. So I want to play it. And then I want to discuss our thoughts on this, because I actually think knowing our audience, knowing the age we're in, this is, and honestly, knowing things we've talked about on this podcast, mm -hmm. I think it's apropos. So hold on. I just wanted to have some real talk with you guys. I just posted on my stories one of these like motivational women's motivational like boss, you know, like accounts. And they basically said like, you don't need to follow the timeline. You don't need to graduate college by 21, 22. You don't need to be married by like your mid to late 20s. You don't need to have a kid by 30. And like, while I appreciate the intention of a post that's like, motivational and like yes everybody's timeline can be different and whatever i strongly strongly believe that that is the general guideline that you should be aiming for because biology is real our you know biological time clocks are real and yes if you want to you know raise your chances of not being on ivf not you know going through issues having you know becoming pregnant or having children in your life you need to aim for having your first kid by 30 it's true like take it from me i've been in residency they at my time did not encourage you to be married or have children every chief resident in their in their early 30s when they were graduating were like I'm infertile or I'm lonely, I'm not married or whatever. So I, I give this talk and I know it can be a little controversial, but I give this talk to every single student that I have, every resident that I have. And I say, you guys, when you hit 23, 24, 25, this is like the time three to five dates a week, spread the net wide, tell everyone that, you know, you're ready to meet the one 
start dating. I don't care how tired you are. You guys, I was doing 30 hour overnight shifts in the hospital. I would sleep four hours more in the hospital before I drove home, put on some lipstick and headed out to meet people. And the other thing that I did, again, it's just a numbers game. Spread the net wide, meet as many people as you can, go out on two dates with everyone. So even if I didn't think they were like, there's no chemistry or I wasn't attracted or for whatever reason, I would still go out on two dates with everyone. And then on the second date, I would say, you know what? I think you're really cool, but I don't feel like a romantic connection, but I would love to stay friends. And they were like, oh my God, that's so refreshing. Thanks for letting me know. But then what would happen is they invite you to their get togethers and then you meet their friends. And again, it's all about spreading that net wide, meeting as many people as you can, do the dating apps, tell your friends and family, your cousins that you're ready to meet people, have them set you up and, you know, try, try, try to, you know, get married in your twenties, no matter how ambitious you are. You guys, it doesn't mean you don't shoot for that career. You know, I started I literally put it on my checklist. I put it on my to-do list, my fourth year of medical school, which meant I was 25 years old, get married. I put it on my to-do list because you know what, you guys, it's a priority and it's work and it doesn't just happen. It's not like these movies that's like serendipity, blah, blah, blah. No, you need to go out. You're not going to meet anyone in your house. I guess with the dating apps, you might be still need to go out and meet these people eventually. So I would say I put it on my to-do list. I was going on three to five dates a week. And I was tired and it's work and it's a lot of energy, but if it's important to you, you need to be flowing energy to it. You can't just like sit at home and say, Oh, woe is me. Or like, Oh, I'm tired. Or, Oh, you know, I'm an introvert, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's a goal and it, any goal takes work. So don't, no matter how tired you are, you're putting on your lipstick and you're going out. Number one. Number two, you do want to get married in your 20s. I always tell my, you know, again, my students, your stock is highest when you're in your 20s. Make it happen. Go out on those dates. Lock it down. And you want to have, you know, your first kid, God willing, by 30. Because, you know, (laughs) after 30, biology states, and this is studied and it's real, you know, your eggs and your ovaries start to go down. And that's just the way it is. I'm all about woman power. I'm all about ambition. I'm all about go get your dreams. No one works harder than me, but family was important to me too. And I had to work hard at that as well. So public service announcement, take your own path. Totally. I totally support that. Everyone's timeline is different, but it doesn't mean that you don't aim for a timeline that is in line with your biological time clock. Truth has to be said. And you know you're going to get the truth here. Love you guys. Happy Sunday. Okay. I think I think she is is right. I think that when talking about things like your biological clock, there those are facts. Those are unchanging facts. But what I want to say is is I want to focus more on the idea of options. And I think that, you know, what she's talking about is just that you have the most options when you set yourself up to, you know, meet these, to meet these metrics or to meet these goals. Like, you know, you have more options for where you can live and the type of life you want to lead if you get a degree so that you can have a career that, you know, gives you financial flexibility if you want to, you know, leave your hometown or you want to move different places. And so I, I just feel like for what what she's getting at and what I like to focus on myself as someone who, you know, was, it didn't, you know, I, I am 20, I'm going to be 27. I haven't, I'm not married yet. And, you know, I'm, 
starting this timeline perhaps a little bit later. And I think that what I've just always tried to set for myself is this idea of options. So, you know, I have options for where I want to live and the type of career I want to have because I have a degree and because I did like, you know, do those things in a timely fashion. And I think, you know, in terms, so I think that's like in, in terms of career, like you should give yourself options. And I think options in terms of family, if that's something you want, is to have a career that you can save money in. Because if you do want to prolong having children, like she says, there is high likelihood that you might have to go through something like IVF and IVF is very expensive. And Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people who, who have done it and it's a, it's a strain. It's a strain. And so if, if that, if you're going to prolong, you know, having children, then you should be prepared for, you know, the potential of a, of a more complicated family, you know, building process. Um, and so yeah. you just have options so that you can have enough money to go through IVF or, you know, if you're really lucky, you work at a company where they will help pay for you to freeze your eggs so that you can have those options when you want to have those options. Or you have insurance that covers it. Exactly. And I think just the last thing I'll say is I could not agree more. And you've said this before is the dating is a numbers game. You know, I, I really totally went out with a lot of frogs like in my early twenties. I mean, I really, I did not seriously date at all while I was in college. I had one serious boyfriend that didn't last, but I, I really just kind of dated a lot of different guys who were all mostly losers. And if you're an ex-boyfriend of mine and you're listening to my podcast, jokes on you. But yeah, they were all losers basically. And not all of them. I will be, I have like some dear friends who are like ex-boyfriends, but a lot of them are losers, but it is a numbers game. Damage control. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, I have like, I have like two exes who I'm on good terms with. I'm sure they're all Um, listening. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure they are. But the year before I I met Ben, no, maybe, yeah. No, the year before I met Ben, I was really ready to be in a serious relationship. I was over casually dating and I told my friends, you know, I want to date someone who's like the real deal. I didn't say I'm ready to get married. I didn't say, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm ready to meet the one. I just said, I'm ready to have a good relationship that is intentional and that is good and that feels like legit because a lot of my relationships were not legit it was people who didn't want to commit you know or people who were just honestly not good enough for me to want them to commit commit and so I, I and I felt embarrassed about saying that and I was I was probably what I, I met that when I was 25 so I was like in the years of tw- I felt very young to be saying that and I I was going on so many hinge dates when I lived in LA it was so demoralizing I but mean, I, I think I, you probably were looking for the one, but you were too embarrassed to say it. And well, so you yeah, said I mean, I'm I looking think, for something good. And, right. And, you know, I, and, and honestly, in my life, like I did probably envision that I would have several serious relationships before before finding the one. You know, I just I or at least I, I would I just wanted like a good boyfriend. That's really all. Like I, I wasn't yeah. really ready to get married. I didn't feel like I was in a financial position to be like a great partner to somebody, if I, you know, as in marriage when I was living in Los Angeles. And so I... I really did like say that I wanted to find a good guy or I wanted a boyfriend at least. And I felt embarrassed to say that. And I, I just want to like say this to anybody who feels that same way, but feels embarrassed to say it because they just want to seem like a cool girl who just wants to keep casually dating. And then, you know, uh, unknown to, or, and, and then, you know, one day happened upon a great man. Like it's really very hard for that to happen. And it honestly rarely happens. And you just have to keep going on dates and kissing the frogs and it will happen, but you cannot just expect for somebody to fall in your lap. Yeah. And that's like, and I think that's kind of my perspective on dating is that there's nothing, you have nothing to be embarrassed about if you want to find like somebody serious. And if you want to have a serious relationship in your mid twenties, like there's nothing wrong with that. There's no, like, there's no shame in wanting that, you know, before you know you get a little bit older. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, I think that 
I have a few thoughts on this. I mean, when I first met Kagan, I literally, on our first date, I walked into the bar we were meeting at thinking, I'm so tired, but this is how I meet the person I, I'm going to, I'm going to marry. Yeah. I'm going to go yeah. on a, like, it's by going on dates, even when I'm tired. So I a hundred percent had that mentality. I don't think I went on three to five a, a week. I think that's super extreme and maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit hyperbolic. Also says nobody honest. works harder than me, which I was kind of like, okay, I roll. We get it. Well, the, the the I have to redo the caption. Uh, oh, I, maybe she pulled it. But anyway, there was a caption that like she did it all while getting a a, a business degree and a medical degree. Okay. And yeah, it's very self-aggrandizing. And so I think three to five is extreme. I think if you can aim to be on one to two a week, that's that's good. Yes. I, three to five is insane. I think two two a week is also so a lot. I'm not the girl who just puts on some lipstick and I'm ready for a date. Like, fuck that. Yeah. Also, I also think that here's another thing I want to say. I truly believe that there's a fundamental flaw in the mentality she has here, which is that, and this is something that I think has like become a a new part of my personality. And probably even six months ago recording on this podcast, I would have just been like gung ho, Sheila ho. Like I would have what she was saying. But honestly, I really think that like everyone needs to realize that truly do not put the the power of your own fulfillment and happiness in life in the hands of this future you're going to arrive at when you have a family and kids. I think that that's amazing and definitely something to aim toward. I think that it's likely going to be one of the most meaningful aspects of everyone's lives. Yeah. But I also fundamentally believe that there are so many different paths to a meaningful, deep, rewarding life. And I also look at the people I was dating in my 20s, in my in my early 20s specifically, um, when she's saying, you know, to really hit the, pa- you know, pound the pavement. Those were people who weren't right for me. I remember when I was 24 and I was dating someone who I was fundamentally mismatched with in all mm-hmm. the important ways, Re- religion, money, lifestyle, yeah. how you want to spend your habits, sex, sex drive, everything. Yeah. And I remember, you know, like I remember being so terrified to be single at 25 because I, living in Provo just, just sounded really scary. Mm-hmm. And anyway, the thing that I think is really important is realizing that also at that time, though, I will say, I don't think I even really knew myself that well. No. And I think I had a lot of false beliefs about myself. And I think that I think that you don't want to fall into a trap of, oh, I need to have all these boxes checked off by certain ages because I really do believe that people follow different paths. And the thing that we should all strive toward isn't necessarily a husband and a family. I think it's toward autonomy and being a master yes, of the universe. It's options. That's like options. Exactly. And it's toward being able to, like you said, have as many options as possible. And the path toward that, I think, is through independence and right. is through building building a business, working really hard. And I think that, yes, you should, if you want, if you, that's what you want, and I think most people do. I think everyone should treat it like a job and like they shouldn't be lazy right. about it and they shouldn't just expect it to fall into their lap because it won't most likely. It's something they're going to have to work at. But I think that that entire message, it also needs to be tempered with the reality that marriages fall apart and terrible well, and- things happen. And it's not like 
your happiest days are in front of you when all of that comes together. Right. I think that's maybe some yeah, of your so, meaningful so moments, but truly like happiness and a good life can happen regardless of how your life looks. And I mean, I also think that there's this very toxic language of like your stock is highest in your twenties. Right. And so you gotta make hay while the sun shines. And really like I am surrounded by very successful young men here in Puerto Rico. Like I, I am. And all of their partners are age appropriate, accomplished women who have their own lives, who have their own careers, who are moving and shaking. They're not, you know, 22 year old, like docile doting housewives. And I just want to say that men in my experience are very attracted to women who have power. That is my firsthand experience. That might not be the language on, you know, the incel internet, but that's the lived reality I experience and see every day around me. And so I just really want to tell, tell people who are listening to this, that all the power rests inside of them and doesn't depend on this future with all these, you know, things intact. Yeah. And I think, I think her timeline is just super rigid. Like just going back to what I was saying a little bit, like, it's just like all about like setting yourself up for options. And I think that like some people don't even want to have kids at 30. Like that feels very young for me to have like, for me to have a baby by the time I'm 30. And I think like, that's, that's where I think it's not constructive for you to be like following these like okay you have to seriously date between 24 and 26 that you can be married by 28 and have your first kid by 30 like I just think that those are just extremely rigid numbers yeah and I and I think that it's all about like it's hard because I agree with her in some ways like I I don't think people should just like waste away their like early 20s and not like get a degree like I think that like or or get go to school like I actually think I am all in on the fact that you should try to have an established career like or have some type of marketable skill as early as possible so that you can start building wealth. Okay. But I think that it it falls apart for me when it's then, then it's like, and and so the only reason why you do that is so that you can have a baby by 30. Right. Exactly. It's like, maybe you do that because you want to have as much personal autonomy you want to yes. be the master of your own universe. Mm-hmm. Like that is what I'm all about. Become right. the master of your own universe. Not to now. I'm not like trying to compete with Teal Swan you're, here. You're teal right now. You're going full teal. <laughs> <laughs> but I really believe like that is what we should all orient ourselves toward. Yeah. Is you know being able to provide ourselves with nourishment and ourselves right. with with what we need because everything we need really is inside of us. All the other things are beautiful and amazing, but they're not necessary. They really aren't. Also, I just want to say that fertility does not just fall off a cliff the right, on your 30th right. birthday. I also thought that was a little bit God willing before you're 30. Like, like I'm no, sorry, it's, it's, but yeah. Like, sorry, I looked it up after I watched the video because I was like, whoa. I mean, and my fertility is a whole other story. It's something I'll talk about on this podcast another time, but I wasn't even looking it up for my own sake because Mm -hmm. my fertility is a known situation, but I was looking it up just for our listeners. And Mm -hmm. what I realized is that fertility does not just drop off a cliff on your 30th birthday. It's something that tapers, but in your early 30s, you're still healthy and beautifully fertile and people have children without IVF in their early 30s and mid 30s. It does happen all the time. 
Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I think like there's even like several tapering schedules. Like I think like it even tapers a little bit when you're like 26 or 27 and then a little bit like it's just it's just not this like finite thing. While there is a real biological clock, there are just so many ways that you can be that the master of your own universe in that sense. You know, you don't have to just like wait exactly. on a guy to get you pregnant. I mean, because maybe you turn 30 and you have an established career and guess what? The 10 or 20K to freeze your eggs actually isn't that much money anymore. And right. it's totally possible. And yeah, maybe you do have to go through IVF and not to not to minimize the experience of that. Yeah. But I think that are you better off, you know, getting married super young and potentially, you know, I just think there's pitfalls to either scenario. Like you might have to go through the struggles of IVF, but you also might have to go through the struggles of having gotten married in years where you really didn't mm-hmm. know who you were. Yeah. And right. so it's like on some level, we're all going to be facing a set of of challenges in our lives. Mm-hmm. And I just wouldn't say that one cha- one set of challenges is necessarily better or that I just wouldn't necessarily be so doom and gloom. And also like... I just, I think this really hit a sore spot for me because I remember being 27. I was first dating Kagan and I was listening to a lot of Jordan Peterson. I became such a Jordan Peterson fangirl for a minute. And I remember he like has this whole thing about how, you know, like, and he's just very like, you know, if you don't have kids, you're just screwed in our society and you're going to have a terrible life. And anyway, Jordan Peterson to me actually seems like fundamentally unenlightened. So my thoughts on him have completely changed. But, but I just think that I remember having this extreme amount of anxiety because this was when I was first dating Kagan. I had no idea if, if this was the right person or not. And I just remember being filled with so much fear. Mm -hmm. And I just think that everyone needs to realize that no matter what happens in their life, they can have an amazing, fulfilling life and they don't have to have it look a certain way, you know? And there's just, life is going to throw so many things at you that it's really toxic, I think, to stick to something where it's like every, yeah, like all your best moments have to happen before you're 30. Like it's, I just think that's like so, such a, I don't know. I mean, toxic way to look at things, I guess. Literally, I don't even think my life, like the light switch in my life where things got really fun for me was like 29. I just think that there's so much fun and it's it if you do your 20s correctly your 30s are the for me have become the best time of my life. That's kind of how I like envision my 30s is like I hope I'm a little bit less stressed about money, you know, like I feel like I've had a, like a, a a normal amount of financial stress for like a 20-year-old and a girl in her 20s and I'm just hoping that like I get some more like peace and just like more enjoyment in my 30s. Yeah, and tr- I mean I just feel like it's there's something there's something magical about this time of life. Again, if you don't, yeah, if you don't waste that time, but like you said, you know, I you you highly recommend getting a career early and I and I agree with you. I had to go through the fire of figuring out what I was going going to do at 26, 27, which was super hard. Mm-hmm. And it was very difficult. It was it was a painful experience. And so anyway, I just want to add really quick. I think it's easier for this girl to say like, do these things. I did them, you know, and it's just, just not the case for everyone. And so I just, I think it's, it's tough to hear stuff like this. Not everyone is going to meet the love of their life and also have a kid by 30 and also get a business degree and a medical degree. Actually, almost no one's going to do that. And a lot of people for very sane reasons aren't going to even want to do all of that by the time they're 30. And so I just think the message is, 
orient yourself toward being the master of your universe, yep. of your own universe, not giving someone else the power in your life. And then, yes, work at the things that you want. F- like she said, flow energy to the things you want. Don't be yep. passive about it if it's important to you. Right. But also, you're much better off, in my opinion, marrying the correct person when you're in your power mm-hmm. and have some coin in your pocket. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can pay for IVF at 35 right. than marrying the wrong person, having a kid with the wrong person potentially having to go through a divorce not that that's the most horrible thing but i'm just saying there are all sorts of challenges in life right and if your set of challenges ends up being a little bit of you know fertility journey a fertility journey and dealing with that you don't know what other fire you escaped so i truly believe there's like only reason to be positive no matter what your situation so yeah i love this I love this. Thank you for this dissertation. I like honestly, I think you, what you said about being the master of your your own universe and setting yourself up to have the power is is everything. Well, I think that honestly, it's been if you've listened to this podcast from the very beginning, it's I think you've heard a change in tone for me because I've I'm also I'm very much growing and changing and you know it's something that I've really realized. I've had so, your more Serena Joy moments for sure. <laughs> I certainly have. Anyway, so I hope, you know, everyone's going through it. Everyone is facing their challenges. And I mean, like, there's also just like Gwyneth Paltrow and Brad Falchuk on their second marriage. There was literally Gwyneth Paltrow was like, there's just something. She was talking with Khloe Kardashian Kardashian. in the most recent episode of The Kardashian. She's like, there's just, oh, yeah, Courtney Kardashian. She's like, there is just something so special about that second marriage. Like mm-hmm. she, the way she talked about that second marriage, it was just so funny. And Once again, I just I'm like, personally, am I having serious relationship issues? Cause I'm not onto my second serious like marriage. <laughs> <laughs> just, just kidding. I, well, and I just, I, and I look at, I look at honestly women like Shannon Bedore. I look mm-hmm. at women who we've seen on the housewives who have gone through divorces and seem like happier than ever actually. And like, and not to say that that's something casual at all, but I just think that we should approach life with this thought that even if the worst happens, your partner leaves you, something terrible happens to someone in your life, whatever. If you have your health and your mental health, you can really get through anything and continue to live your best life. Right. And, and there, yeah. yeah, like, like yep. so many women do and men do. And so anyway, I, I just um, want to leave that with ahead. you here, brothers and sisters. Amen. I'll get into this on the next pod because it really impacted me. But what remains is like a testament, I feel like, to that of Carol's life and the tragedy that she went through. And Yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited to get into what remains because it sounds like it's been quite a journey for you. I think I read it I mean, like seven years ago, so I need to reread. You should reread it. When I tell you that I was sobbing in 12E on the plane, I was completely torn to pieces. I was expecting the man was next to me to offer his. Plus. No, I was in Comfort Plus. I'll, oh, I got upgraded. I, w- I expected the man next to me to offer his sleeve or a handkerchief. He did nothing. <laughs> I was, I was literally, there was snot coming out of my nose. I was crying so hard. You probably just thought it was because you were forced to, you know, stomach those pitiful excuses for snacks that oh the pilot gosh. throws back at the people. In I was in comfort plus. Okay. You still get the pretzels. Okay. That's enough. All right. Let's sign off. I've had all enough. right. Love you all. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much. We'll chat with you next week. Okay. Bye.
All right. I hope you guys loved today's episode. I had so much fun recording with Chandler. It really was a pleasure. And I wanted to remind you to please share the episode, share an episode that you love of Pop Apologist on your Instagram stories, provide a link for your followers and tag us and that will enter you in our $500 shopping spree giveaway for June. Love you guys. Bye. That's all for now, folks. Don't forget, give us a five-star review. Hit us up on Instagram at Apologists, and we will see you next week, live every Wednesday. Bye.